I do think that there's an essential nutrient for us, our souls, which is found in the soil. Wendell Berry says, there is no unholy place. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. And so any place where we find ourselves is potentially holy ground. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking about land, the land God created and gave to us and called very good in Genesis. Quote, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Our guest today encourages us to really think about the land as one of God's creations, something he made as a gift to us. And she asks us to consider if we viewed this land as a gift, how might our relationship to the land change? Wendell Berry puts it this way, the atmosphere, the earth, the water and the water cycle, those things are good gifts. The ecosystems, the ecosphere, those are good gifts. We have to regard them as gifts because we couldn't make them. We have to regard them as good gifts because we couldn't live without them. But in the modern age where most people live in cities and urban areas, how can we connect to the land that God gave us? American theologian and Old Testament scholar and author of 11 books and many articles, Dr. Ellen F. Davis grew up thinking about land as a commodity and a source of profit. But when she began to explore how the Bible thought about land, it completely redirected her thinking. Her teaching and her research led her to understand that land is not just soil, but a fragile community of all creatures that participate in the life of that soil, including us. I'll end with another Wendell Berry quote. We depend upon other creatures and survive by their deaths. To live, we must daily break the body and shed the blood of creation. When we do this knowingly, lovingly, skillfully, reverently, it is a sacrament. When we do it ignorantly, greedily, clumsily, destructively, it is a desecration. In such desecration, we condemn ourselves to spiritual and moral loneliness and others to want. I know you'll find this conversation as thought-provoking and inspiring as I did. So without further ado, please welcome my friend, and now yours, Dr. Ellen F. Davis. I'm Ellen Davis. I'm Professor of Bible and Practical Theology at Duke University Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. And I'm an Old Testament scholar by background, and my job is to teach people to read the Bible. About 30 years ago, I visited the area where I'd grown up and I realized how much it had changed in my 30 plus years of memory. 
And for some reason, I thought about the other part of the world I know best, which is the land of Israel, and what had happened in that part of the world in something like three millennia. And I realized that we didn't have another three or four millennia ahead of us if we continued to use and abuse our land the way we are. And so I decided that I was going to devote my academic work, my teaching and writing, to exploring how the Bible could help redirect us in thinking about land. And so I began teaching a course that I called A Biblical Theology of Land. I began looking for opportunities to speak with people who knew more about land than I did. And my view of land began to change. Being a Californian, I grew up, frankly, thinking about land as real estate, something that people made money off of. Most of my life, I'd had a gut sense there was something wrong with that way of thinking about land, but I didn't know another way to think about it. And then as I began teaching in this area and reading more, I ran into a book in the library at Yale University where I was teaching. And it said, the title of the book was Meeting the Expectations of the Land. And I thought, whoever named that book knew the way the Bible thinks about land, meeting the expectations of the land, that the land in some sense comes first and we have to be responsible to it. And that was really a nodal point in a new way of thinking and working for me as a biblical scholar. And I just began reading the Bible with that view in mind and discovered that land issues, issues having to do with the well-being of the land and how that is interconnected with human well-being. Being an agrarian means recognizing that the health, the life of human beings is not separate from the life of the land on which we live, the land from which we live, on which we depend daily for our existence. And when I speak of land, I mean not just soil, but also land is a community. All of the creatures that participate in the life of that soil and also land in the widest sense includes water sources, air, the whole sort of physical apparatus with which we interact continually and on which our health depends. So Israelites understood that instinctively, I think, and that is why you can have a line in the Bible such as, and the Lord God created the human being dust from the humus. It's actually a, a pun that unusually works in English as well as in Hebrew. 
the Lord God created Adam, the human being, dust from Adama, the fertile soil. So the Bible throughout is infused with this understanding that the land is something like kin to us. It's something like our first ancestor as humans. 98% of ancient Israelites were farmers, which now those numbers are almost exactly reversed. One or 2% of American citizens are farmers. So we have to acquire by conscious effort an understanding of ourselves in relation to land that Israelites came by naturally. And I would say that the for us in this culture, maybe the core understanding is land is not a commodity. It's not real estate. It is something that is invaluable and irreplaceable. And the second part of that is land is not an it on which we perform certain operations. It's a creature of God. It is in the language of the Bible. It's part of the works of God's hands. Just as humans are works of God's hands, we belong to the same category of creatures. And therefore we have to learn to regard the land as kin. Part of what the Bible does for us is it speaks in the language of people who lived in a very fragile place, the land of Israel, Judah, Palestine, Canaan, all those names that attach to the same little territory in Western Asia. It is a naturally rich place and a naturally exceedingly fragile place. It's very steep. It's semi-arid. When the rains come, they tend to be very heavy. And so it's said that farmers in that part of the world are always struggling with the twin threats of desertification, not enough water, and erosion, the water carrying the soil away. And so the Bible was written by people who knew their land, knew that if they did not care for it, with all of the knowledge that they had to bring to bear on the task of farming it well, it would not be available to their children. So they knew their land in its fragility and its infinite preciousness. And they knew that it came to them as a gift of God and it was entrusted to them not as individuals but as part of an intergenerational community. So it was given on the condition of caring for it for the next generation as well as their own. That's a sense that most of us in an industrialized culture have lost. And yet now, more and more of us are beginning to understand 
But the good news and, and the source of hope is that people are more concerned about the central issues of land use and land care, sustainable food production, destruction of habitat for animals. People are more aware of that and many people more determined to be involved in whatever kind of healing we can participate in and help to generate many more people. So my own students, 15 years ago, they would come to Duke Divinity School knowing almost nothing about these issues. That's not true today. Now, many people come to Divinity School, to seminary, because they want to do something about these issues, and they think that working theologically, working through the church, is an indispensable way for them as people of faith to be engaged in those issues. This is a passage from the Jesus Storybook Bible called A New Beginning. A storm is coming, God told Noah, but I will rescue you, I promise. I'll send the animals to you, and don't forget to pack everyone's food. So Noah built an ark, short for a very large boat. When the ark was ready, God said, all aboard, and Noah's family and all the animals climbed inside. Then God shut the door, and it started raining, and the rain joined up into puddles that joined up into rivers, that joined up into lakes, that joined up into a flood that covered the whole world. Their boat that had once seemed so big suddenly seemed very small, but God kept them safe for 40 long days and 40 long nights. Finally, the rain stopped. Noah sent his dove out to explore, and it wasn't long before she brought him back a fresh olive leaf. Everyone knew exactly what that meant. She had found a tree and land. The water was going down. At last, the boat landed quite suddenly on top of a great mountain. As soon as it was safe, God said, out you come. The first thing Noah did was to thank God for rescuing them, just as he had promised. I feel the fragility of the situation. The boat that had once seemed so big suddenly seemed very small. And then I'm really caught by that line, don't forget to pack everyone's food. It recalls for me the end of the first chapter of the Bible, when God says to the human being, look, I've created all of these things for eating, this for the animals to eat, this for the humans to eat. That sense of food sufficiency that is built into the creation. And it seems to me that that's underscored in this telling of the story, that this is what 
life on this planet comes down to food sufficiency for all the creatures. And in this story, we see that humans bear some responsibility for ensuring that sufficiency. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram at sallylloydjones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Oh, hello, it's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.